Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show, episode 913, 913. Well, I hope you enjoyed our last episode 912 with Dr. Ron Paul, obviously a very famous person, a politician, well, a former politician, who is loved by both sides of the aisle. You know, uh, Ron Paul appeals to people on the left and the right, just people who want more freedom and liberty. And, you know, most of us can agree on that, uh, regardless of our political ideology, because uh, it's usually just a difference of opinion on how to get there, right? But Ron really just makes a lot of sense. You know, but there are a lot of people who really don't understand him or his ideas because uh, we posted on Facebook uh, that, um, you know, we were interviewing Ron Paul on the podcast and, you know, some people made remarks that just show you how clueless they are. It is truly, truly amazing <laughs> the, the world in which we live. You know, everybody lives on a soundbite nowadays and there's just not a lot of depth to thinking usually. But uh, we are here to help contribute to deep thinking. And to help me do that today, I've got Elizabeth Embry back with me. Elizabeth, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Jason. I love a deep thinking. Are, are, you, a, are you a deep thinker? I am a deep thinker, you yeah. promise? Okay, all right. Because, you know, I'm in touch with my inner shallow guy. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. That's awesome. There you go. Well, hey, we're going to talk a little bit more about this five-year plan contest that we're running. And I am so excited to see the entry start rolling in. Folks, if you haven't done your video yet, hurry. You got to get it in. This five-year plan in terms of real estate investing and, and kind of laying out this goal roadmap is going to be a great exercise. Of course, you can win some fantastic prizes. Go to jasonhartman.com slash contest. But you know what? Don't do it for the prizes. Do it for yourself. That is why you're doing this. You are going to help crystallize your thinking and um, what do they say? A problem defined is a problem half solved. And, uh, and so you're going to help crystallize your thinking by doing this exercise. And you're going to declare it publicly, which is going to make it much more possible, much more achievable, and put it much more within reach. You know, I love uh, what uh, Dennis Whaley taught me at age 17. He said a goal should be 
just out of reach, but not out of sight. And five years, I think, is a really good time frame for this. Now, a five-year plan would be different if you're talking about, you know, fitness or a workout plan versus real estate investing, right? Because real estate investing is, you know, it's the tortoise and the hare. It's a little slow, you know, it's the tortoise. But Elizabeth has just done such a fantastic job. And I enjoyed the uh, time I had her on the show just recently where we talked about this. So if you didn't hear that, Please go back and listen to it. But wait, there's more. Elizabeth, there's more. Tell us more. (laughs) Right. So, you know, one of the things that we were just talking about is the deep thinking process and actually taking the time to put pen to paper or video record something or just jot down your thoughts really does help you envision the future, but also really thinking through what are the possibilities and what are the appropriate targets for yourself. But the other thing that I really love about the goal setting, and and as I mentioned on the on the earlier podcast, you know Neil and I actually carve out time to do this every year, but we also take the time to reflect on how the year performed. Right. And so we think about the past. We think about, you know, it's funny because it's so easy to remember the bad things that happened. Oh, no, we, you know, a, a tree fell right. on a roof and I got to pay for that. But then when you actually look at the performance of your portfolio in aggregate, the progress you've made against your goals from the prior year, you get to actually see the scale and the scope of all the things that you actually did achieve. And it just, I mean, it's really exciting because it just completely rubs me up for making more, you know, audacious goals, more big, crazy goals coming up because I see how much I actually already achieved. Okay, so you made some great points there. And uh, Neil is your husband, by the way, just for the record. So we established you mentioned Neil and not everybody knows that's your husband. But um, they should by now. They should by now. (laughs) Yeah. Our first two Venture Alliance members. Okay, so on the thing you said about everybody remembers the bad times. And you know what? That is so true. You know, as humans, we have all these biases. Is that a proper word? Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, one of them is confirmation bias. One is sunk cost bias. So when we get into something we don't want to quit because we've got all this investment in it. So it's the sunk cost bias. Confirmation bias, we believe something. So uh, oddly, everything out in the world starts to look like what we believe because we don't see the other stuff. We just filter it out, right? So we have all these things that influence our thinking. But I think one of the reasons that we remember the problems and we don't remember the good things so much is, you know, I, I used to always say on the podcast, you know, whenever there's a problem, Everybody talks about it. They tell all their friends about it, all this stuff. But on the first of the month, or that's not really the date you receive your rents probably, but, you know, that's the date hopefully the tenant pays them. Do you every month celebrate when that rent comes in on time? No, you just, you know, that's nothing. You don't think about it, right? But when it doesn't work, when it's late, oh, it's a crisis, or, you know, the tenant broke something, or the property got thrashed, or this or that, all the bad things we really remember. And one of the serious reasons I think we remember the bad things is because we attach emotion to them more. You know, like, if we go out and celebrate a victory in life in any area of life, and, you know, maybe we go out and we have a nice dinner or something, right? We're not going to remember that as much, I don't think, as getting in a big, huge 
fight with someone because there's not that much emotion attached to it. The more emotion you attach to something, the more you're going to remember it, the more you're going to dwell on it, the more intense it's going to be. So uh, there are two sort of memory things that memory experts will talk about is motion plus emotion. Those two things help you remember it. And Tony Robbins, Elizabeth, you know, he talks about anchoring, right? And that's part of the motion concept, you know? So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I actually think it kind of harkens back to our caveman days, right? Where we learn not to go to a certain area or not to do a certain thing at a certain time, you know, which berries are poisonous. We remember the bad because our life depended on it. And so I think we're predisposed to just really fixate on the negative. And as you said, most people don't bother rewarding themselves for the good. You know, Neil and I bought a house the other day and uh, it's a cute little cabin on a lake. And we were like, oh, okay, you know, closing date is here. All the paperwork's done. Okay, yeah, what are we going to do next? And he was like, wait a minute, shouldn't we be having a glass of champagne? I was like, oh, yeah, you know, celebrate that good thing. It's just not in our nature. And We, We do forget to do that. And I think that's an important thing that humans need to do is celebrate victories so they can memorialize them, you know? Absolutely. And the other thing that I just love about this, for me, this goal planning process and the roadmap is, you know, I get to see all of the pieces that I need to lay in front of me in order to achieve those goals. And so some of the things that I call out, now I have been doing goal planning for 20 plus years. So I'm, in essence, a seasoned pro at it. Other people might be intimidated, like, oh my gosh, how do I even get started with setting goals? goals or even thinking it through. But I just give myself a couple of building blocks every time to make sure that I achieve my targets. And so those building blocks are, you know, getting a mentor or a coach. So like your investment counselor is a great person for that. You know, doing specific assignments or, you know, having specific activities that I want to do. What kind of training or education do I need? And then what kind of knowledge do I need to build? So an example of the training is going to meet the masters where, you know, you meet so many great speakers, but you also meet other investors and they're sharing about their experiences. So you're learning a lot from each other as well as the speakers, but then gaining knowledge. That's where I list out the podcast that I'm focusing on, including the Women Investing Network podcast, the Creating Wealth podcast and others, and then what books I'm going to read. And all of those really help demystify how the heck I'm going to achieve this, this big five-year target. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, good. So take us through some of the steps. You sent me a PowerPoint slide on this and just quickly kind of highlight some of these things here. Sure. So I start with the working backwards methodology like the Amazon when you start with the press release. Mm -hmm. It's where do I want to be in five years? And so five years... And and by the way, just for the audience, uh, Elizabeth worked at Amazon and she's had a lot of jobs leading tech teams and, you know, that's that's her career. And Amazon, one of Jeff Bezos has kind of these funny things he does, like the two pizza meeting and all this kind of stuff, right? But one of them is write the news release first and then go do the project and make it all happen, right? You know, what will the news release, like, is this actually worthy? Or why did he do that? Why does he have that philosophy? Just elaborate on that. Yeah, it's just such a great way to crystallize what you're going toward. If you 
understand where you're going, then the road to get there just completely becomes self-obvious. But you have to have a lot of thought in, is this product viable? You know, are these goals achievable? You know, it takes quite a bit of discipline to think about from a technology, from a business process, from a customer acceptance perspective, what products are going to be, you know, marketable. If you're thinking only about how your customer is going to consume that thing, then you build that solid press release, then almost everything just kind of falls into place because you've done so much Mm pre-thinking. And it's the same with the roadmap. It's the same with the goals. For instance, one of the examples of our five-year plan is one major life experience or event per year. You know, Neil and I want to have this lifestyle where we can do a major fun event every year. Well, working backwards, how are we going to get there? Well, we need the income. We need the freedom. We need the team that supports us so we're not a slave to managing our own portfolio. You know, we need all of these other pieces in play in order for us to achieve something that seems on the surface very simple, one major life event per year. And so by doing that, we make it a little clearer by going into what a two-year target is and then work on what do we already have And then what do we need to get in order to achieve those two-year targets and ultimately that five-year plan? Yeah, I think that is is excellent. There's some excellent, excellent nuggets in there. So you've got this categorized into uh, current, you know, where you are now, needed, and then target. Current, needed, and target. Kind of three, you know, areas that need to be addressed, right? That's correct. And so the target, again, working backwards where you do the five-year and then the two-year, the target are the skill sets or the resources that you would need to achieve that two-year and that five-year, you know, goal. Then you look at what you currently possess, what's already in your pocket, whether it's money, it's skill set, it's connections, it's assets that are already in play, you know, maybe it's excellent credit. So what do you already have? And then what's the delta between what you currently have and your targets? Now you're honing in on the needed things. What do you need in order to achieve those things? You know, then you you understand that what you actually need are things like, you know, deal flow or, you know, to build skill set or to get the right team in place, which may not have been apparent when you first started this journey. And that's when you can start getting those resource tools working for you, you know, your coach, the type of training or knowledge that you're getting, because now you know exactly what you're targeting in. And so, the, again, this is a one year look at how to get to your five year goal. And getting those, breaking down those building blocks into small incremental steps. It's the same thing if you're building software, if you're building your career, if you're building your your life and wealth plan, the whole nine yards. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. And, you know, one of the things I think that will amaze people about this is that when you look at the current situation, so many people sort of gloss over all of the resources they already have. I think there's this tendency, and it's just part of human nature to look at things in a scarce fashion and not, it's kind of a gratitude thing really too, you know, like we have to force ourselves to look at what we have and be grateful for it and acknowledge it. And, um, you know, like you mentioned here, you know, you have these mentors and these coaches, Uh, you have your mastermind group, you have a, uh, a group in Seattle where you are a real estate group. Most people have a lot more in the way of resources in their current scenario than I think they usually realize. And so that's why it's important to get this down on paper. You know, it helps you realize you have so much already. And then, you know, 
know, what do you need? And, and then connect the dots with what do you have, like people in your network or groups in your network or anything that can help you get those things. And then you can reach the target, the big vision. I love the way you do that major life experience. Maybe that'll be the Ice Hotel with Adventure Alliance in Sweden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'll be yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Good, good stuff. Okay, what else? And then one of the things that you said was you getting it down on one paper. One of the things that we do is we look at this on at least a quarterly basis, if not a monthly basis, so that we can make sure we're actually tracking toward those targets. You know, you get lost in the details of life sometimes, and there's so much going on. You've got to take those moments to be in charge of your destiny by identifying where you're achieving and where you still need to achieve. By having it on something that you can look at it, keeping it in your notebook, keeping it, you know, as an image on your phone, whatever it is, that's really important. It's creating goals are great, but creating goals and then never thinking about them again, that's not going to get you the lift that you really need. Yeah, good stuff. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for sharing this stuff. We've got to get to our segment today. This is awesome. Elizabeth, we are going to be so inspired by the people who make videos and show us their five-year plan and share them. I think it's just going to be awesome. So jasonhartman.com slash contest. Make a little video. Tell us about your plan. Don't agonize over it. Don't make it an art art project. Just make a video. Anything could be totally casual. You know, it can be whatever format you like. Doesn't matter. Just get it down. Get it declared. And when you speak it into the camera... You will be literally creating reality. Elizabeth, I know you know about um, Steve Jobs and what they used to say about him in the Steve Jobs reality distortion field, right? Mm -hmm. You know, he he would come around and just tell his team that, you know, this is possible. We got to do this. We got to do that. And they would all like, oh, that's impossible. But he would just push so hard and he would declare things publicly many times and he would make them real literally by the act of declaring it you bring it into reality and so far as we know humans are the only creatures on earth that can do that it's an amazing talent and you want to make sure you're using it so thank you again elizabeth appreciate you sharing this today thank you okay so here without further ado it's my honor to have ron paul on the show today and here he is It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Ron Paul to the show. Uh, Of course, you know his name. He's a former congressman for many years, and he's known as America's foremost advocate for liberty. He spent 23 years in Congress. He was uh, an outspoken critic of the banking system and and, uh, some of the monetary and fiscal policy that we have, and it's just a a real pleasure to have him on the show today. I've, I've been a fan of his work for many, many years, and I know a lot of you in our audience are as well. Ron, welcome. How are you? I'm doing fine, Jason. It's very nice to be on your program today. It's good to have you on, and we're also looking forward to having you uh, speak at our upcoming Meet the Masters of Income Property event in San Diego in uh, January. So we can't wait to see you there. It's just funny how the, the folks on the left somehow got to, well, I mean, not everybody thinks this, but certainly half the country probably does. They somehow got to own the high ground of compassion, and they're just 
taking from one group to give to their own special interest group. You know, it, it's crazy. And on the minimum wage thing, you talked about how inflation hurts the poor the most. Raise the minimum wage. You just create more minority unemployment. You create more poor unemployment. And it just hurts these people that they pretend to help. It just drives me crazy. If someone wants to engage in a transaction, what business is it of the government to insert themselves in the middle? You know, if someone wants to work and someone wants to pay them to work, why is the government involved? Yeah. <laughs> you know? but, but I think you said the right thing. The The left beat us out on grabbing the moral high ground. Yeah, they did. And that puts more pressure on us to describe what we believe into a moral position. And that is why I like to start about the moral position of human rights and individual rights and natural rights and no stealing and cheating and killing, you know, non-aggression, and put it on the moral grounds. And then, you know, we do have to convince that it's in their best interest, economically speaking. You know, the history is there. The history is so clear. The freer society, the more the wealth is and the better it's distributed. And our society today has tremendous wealth for a small number of people. There was an astounding figure I saw the other day that demonstrates how how distorted our system is. If you take 50%, the lower 50% in this country, their wealth that they're holding is equal to the three richest people in this country. That's and that, crazy. That is, not, that is not the way it works in a free market economy. That That is always distorted by the monetary system. Von Mises preached in his books that he says, if you destroy the value of money through inflation and different things like that and run enough debt, you will always destroy the middle class. And in my lifetime being in politics, I just see it constantly, but especially bad since our last recession 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I've, I agree with you completely. I want to ask you about how the government distorts the housing market. You you wrote a lot about that, and I couldn't agree more. And, and Ron, I'll tell you, you know, most people think I'm absolutely crazy. I'm a real estate guy. You know, my whole life has been in the real estate business and as a real estate investor. And I, I just think it's the most historically proven asset class in the world. And I love it. And I think this idea of encouraging homeownership by creating these pseudo-governmental agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and, you know, HUD has a part in that too, of course. It just totally distorts the market. I'd love to see them go away. Yeah, it might be a tough pill to take for a couple of years, but it's distorting the market the same way Sally Mae is distorting the college tuition market. You know, college tuitions have inflated at, you know, three, four times the real inflation rate for decades now. You know, the government distorts these markets, but what are your thoughts on the distortion in the housing market since since we got so many investors, you know, yeah. There'd be something equivalent to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but it'd be private and it would be okay. The distortion comes and the economic distortion, which has caused the greatest harm, uh, you know, for ups and downs is the manipulation of the interest rates. And that has a lot to do with housing. Right now, interest rates are still very low and there's going to be, and, there, and there's distortion in the housing market again, as it mm-hmm. is in student oh, yeah. loans and sure. cars and everything else. Everything. But the interest rates are lowered by the increase in the money supply, and it's the, it's the inflation. But, you know, that it was natural. You have interest rates low, and when they're artificially low, you will always have malinvestment, but you don't know where. Now, the current people in the last 10 years, are, they're very confused because we want inflation. That's their purpose. We deliberately want to have two or three It's the stated purpose, inflation. yeah. So they did this, and they can't understand why the inflation rate isn't high. But they're deceiving us. They're lying to us. The uh, CPI is going up more than they admit to. They do this on purpose. 
But there's tremendous inflation in the stock market, the housing market. There's inflation prices yeah, going up. Yeah. Cost of medical care. Right. It's gone up tremendously. Yeah. But the last housing market, uh, and it continues today because I still hear it, and that is the Congress butts in and they compound the problems with the Community Reinvestment Act. Right, the CRA. And then they tell people and the bankers, the bankers are already going to make a mistake because they don't have the right information about what the interest rates would be and what the savings rates are. So they come in and say, you will make these bad loans. And then when they all go bust, and the people who promoted it, the mortgage people, they go broke, they get bailed out, and the people who were supposed to get these houses, they lost their jobs, and they're still not back in their house. And so we have a whole new generation right now that can't afford getting in our houses. So it's all by government manipulation, and it's a struggle, but they're not getting the right information in the school. And this is one reason why I spend as much time going trying to – get the right education for people like in in homeschooling and work with the Mises Institute and get people to understand this because that has to come first before you're going you can expect the politicians to change in Washington Washington is like they are now because Keynesianism the philosophy of Keynesian interventionism in economics, mm-hmm. they won the intellectual fight, and that's why we're suffering from what's going on in Washington. So the changes have to be outside of Washington. If it's a person like you who can teach this for practical reasons on how do you survive it and what do you do, they should also learn the message of exactly why the mess comes and why it's so hard. In the old days when I was growing up, uh, you know, it was interesting to save some money, and we got 2 or 3% on our money, and we could see it. Now there's every reason in the world not to save money, not to teach kids right. yeah. put $10 away every month. It's a bad deal. You know, and watch yeah. the Android. It's terrible. It's backwards. Yeah, it's totally backwards. You encourage malinvestment, just like you said. You've got these iron triangles of special interest just feeding the Keynesian disaster. It's it's too bad Hayek didn't win the debate, but you know, I mean, <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's really a sad, sad state of affairs. But no question, this encourages malinvestment. The problem you have here is that the most fundamental concept of markets and capitalism is the concept of price discovery. When the government is involved in all of these crazy things that they're doing, there's no real price discovery. We don't know what a house should cost or what a stock should cost or what anything should cost because there's just so much regulation and and that influences it and then and then manipulation of the currency and the tax code and all these, you know, messed up incentives that encourage people to do all these funny things that they wouldn't normally do. It's crazy. Ron, I mean, you know, when I sit down with a client sometimes, you know, I'll have a meal with a client and 45 minutes of the conversation is how do I manipulate my portfolio to gain the best tax advantage? This is not the way a market should work. It it should work. How do I manipulate it? So I get the highest return. So I produce the most value in the economy. It's just crazy backwards. Yeah. And this whole thing about pricing is, is so important. Because um, Mises, you know, showed that if you don't have prices, you have socialism. And he said that once you drop that, and we're so awfully close to this, but we're probably not totally socialist because there still is a pricing mechanism, but it's so distorted and it's getting awfully close. Now, I remember the very day when we put on wage and price controls, August 15th, when the gold standard was rejected. They put on total wage and price controls. 
And within days, there were shortages all over and black markets going on because they were establishing prices at the wrong place. They didn't know the prices. And that's why this the silliness of total socialism and communism is that always failed. Mises said it will always fail. He, in a sense, predicted that communism would not work because there's no pricing mechanism. And you're seeing it's already pretty serious, but it's not complete. But it can be because everybody's, what's the, they do it, you mentioned the minimum wage, that's price fixing. Oh, of course, yeah. There's so much interference, and what about the price of money? Interest rates, that distorts things too. So prices are the one to help people survive, help a free market to work. You have to have free market pricing, and you have to have market interest rates, which we don't have. So in interest rates, there is no market uh, rate. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to ask you about one more concept. But before I do that, I know we've got to wrap it up. How is Rand doing? Uh, You know, talk about aggression. And I mean, you know, I've been following that story and just feel so bad for him. And uh, all of my listeners, of course, wish him well. Uh, Is is he uh, recovering? Okay. He is. I mean, his first several days were pretty bad, and I think they took a preliminary x-ray and didn't realize how serious the uh, fractures were. And then because they were serious, then he got fluid on the lungs, and he had to go back and get some more x-rays. But he felt good enough to go back to Washington this week, and he talked to his mother this morning and says he, he was feeling better. <laughs> you know? oh, that's good so, But he has uh, you know, these fractured uh, ribs, and it's a mess. But the question always is, what was the motivation? And quite frankly, he's, he's answered that by saying, I don't have any idea. <laughs> he said, I haven't even talked to the guy in years. They just weren't, you know, close friends and didn't talk to each other, but they don't converse. But anyway, it's, it's, it's a messy situation, but he's going to be okay. But I think that uh, this case will go on for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Good to hear. Good to hear. I wish him a, a quick recovery. Just the last thing I wanted to ask you about as we wrap it up here is, you know, from the government's perspective, This is just my view, so feel free to disagree with me. But from the perspective of governments, not just our government, but any government and central banks around the world, inflation from their perspective seems to be a pretty darn good business plan from their perspective because they can buy votes, they can spend irresponsibly, and then they can inflate away their debt. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think it's absolutely true, and they, they're arrogant to believe that they are good managers and they can handle it, and they will never let things get out of hand. Well, it always gets out of hand. They've been getting away with so much distortion because if we have good times, the Federal Reserve takes credit for it. Right now, you know, the Federal Reserve, there's a good stock market out there. Yeah. But if things turn badly, then they come in and, and further inflate, <laughs> and then they take credit for fixing the recession or depression that they caused. Right. So, uh, yes, it's for deceit. It's deceitful for the politicians, but everybody's participating. Everybody's learned the same bad economics. Mm-hmm. So the people, whether it's the military-industrial complex or whether it's the people who want more food stamps, they want spending, and it's very bipartisan. They both spend money. They can't raise the taxes anymore because there's a limit to what, but they're not going to cut spending. So the central bank is what I call the facilitator, and it's a taxer. They're the biggest taxers and facilitators for big government. If you didn't have a central bank and nobody could monetize debt, 
we wouldn't have these kind of problems. Maybe the growth would be a little bit slower, but it would be steady, and there wouldn't be these calamities that we have faced. It wouldn't be this routine cycle of ups and downs right. and destroying the middle class. So this, this will have to be taken care of. We can't go on. Eventually, the economic conditions will demand monetary reform. The big job we have is to make sure when they start rebuilding that there's enough people who know and understand what free markets are all about and why it's important to talk about monetary policy. So would you say the future is inflationary? Oh, the near future is going to, uh, that's the way it ends. And we early on mentioned, I guess we talked a little bit about how do we get rid of this debt. If the debt is, is always liquidated, you have to liquidate the debt. And they don't allow the liquidation on these corrections. And that's why this last inflationary cycle 10 years ago hasn't liquidated debt. Debt is much, much worse. But you still have to liquidate debt. And governments never default on net sending you a check. So if the Treasury bill has to be covered or the Social Security beneficiaries have to get a check, that's going to continue. They will not keep doing it. So the default comes by devaluing the currency, debasing right. the currency, which yeah. in itself is an immoral theft. You know, to right. deliberately, they're committing what counterfeiters do, and we let them get away with it. That's a horrible situation. No, no question about it. Inflation is the insidious hidden tax. It is a liar and a thief. I, I mean, I've had Lawrence Kutlikoff on the show a few times, and you know, he's done a lot of studies about our, our future and the upcoming unfunded mandates, and you know, says it's like $220 trillion. There's just no way we can possibly pay that. You know, government has six choices that I can see. Default, raise taxes, which there's not enough taxes to raise. Default's politically unpopular. Sell off national assets. Use the military military to steal. On the good side, technological innovation, that would be growth, that would be good, or just inflate it away. And and that seems to be the most plausible, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah. you know, that, yeah, that's usually what they do. They, yeah. they, they always inflate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ron, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, please give out your website, tell people, uh, you know, where they can find you, Twitter, whatever you want. And uh, let's wrap it up. Well, if people want to find me on a daily basis, ronpaullibertyreport.com, I do a daily report. Uh, 11 o'clock central time and i have a web page along with that ron paul liberty report.com excellent thank you so much and we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming meet the masters of income property event very good jason nice to talk with you nice talking with you Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.